You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So here's, here's the m- message for today in one sentence. It's two words, it's not one word. Every body, every body, as in your body. Every body has a story. You can write that down. There's an old movie called uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy. S- y'all remember this? Old movie, yeah. It's the story of a remote African tribal village that finds a Coke bottle out in the jungle. To the people in the jungle, that seems to have fallen from the sky, from the gods, though it was actually dropped out of an an airplane by accident, you know. (laughs) Oh, it's thrown from the airplane. Thrown from the airplane. So these these tribal people had never seen anything like this before. They have no idea what it's used for, and so they try to figure out its purpose. They they use it to pound things and crush melons and make music. And at first, it makes life very interesting. It brings new energy into this group. But the problem is with this this very interesting thing that has fallen from the sky is that there there isn't enough of it to go around. There's just one thing. Everyone has their own reason for needing it, so it generates a bad spirit in this very loving tribe that had never experienced this kind of bad spirit before. It had never experienced jealousy or envy or anger. People are grabbing the bottle from each other and using it to get their needs met at the expense of other people in the group. And after a day or so of this, there's a scene where they're all sitting around a fire when the narrator says, I want you to hear this, A strange feeling of shame had come over the family, and they were very quiet. That's a sad and profound line. A strange feeling of shame had come over the family, and they were very quiet. That line could have been pulled right out of Genesis 3. A strange feeling of shame had come over the family, and they were very quiet. The story of the fall of humanity from a pure existence. I have to wonder if the writers of The Gods Must Be Crazy were thinking of this when they wrote that line. A strange feeling of shame is exactly what the first humans felt when they tasted the kind of knowledge that separates body from soul. When Paul talks about bodies and souls, Paul the apostle, when he talks about bodies and souls, he does this over and over again in his letters in the first century church. It's, this is what he's after. He wants us to understand that we are more than morality or biology. In our bodies, we are kind of, we are kind of embodied theology. That's what we're after this morning as we talk about sexuality, not in the sense of of sex in its narrowest definition, but in the sense that we all carry around, we we all carry around in our bodies a kind of, it's, it's imprinted into every cell, a sexuality, all of us, all of us. And to the extent that we have integrated that truth, we flourish, and to the extent that we split body from soul, we suffer. 
So let's look at that idea. Look at Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's a little book. In your Bible, it might only be a page or two, so you've got to um, you've got to go dig in a little bit, but it's toward the end of the, of the New Testament. It's right after Colossians. I know that helps a lot, which is right after Philippians, which is right after Galatians. Um, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the best way to engage the message is with your Bible, something to write with, something to write on. Um, I really want you to take some notes this morning, so thanks for engaging. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to take in the first 10 verses, starting with the first two. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. I want you to circle please God. As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. I want you to underline that phrase too, more and more. We'll come back to it later. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So, so he begins with a word about pleasing. We live to please God. In fact, in my margin, I've written please God right there in my margin next to verses one and two. We live to please God. Um, and, and in the context of what he's about to say next, this is a, really a radical thing to say. Live to please God. That ought to change our prayers. We're no longer begging, please, comma, God, please, God. We are seeking. And so the prayer is, how do I please you, God? How do I please you? Paul wants us to hear everything he says next as people oriented toward pleasing God, not carnal or disembodied pleasure, which means everything we're about to hear is not legalism, it's relationship. We don't live to obey the rules, we live to what? Please God, that's right. We, live, we, don't, we don't live to obey the rules, we live to please the rule giver. We, we, we approach other bodies as people made in the image of God, people with the story and the context. Do you hear it? Bodies around us are not Coke bottles without a story, without a context, without a meaning or purpose to them. They have these, the bodies we live with all around us and our bodies all have a very specific purpose. Every body has a story. Say that together. Every body has a story. So what story does your body tell? And is it a story told within the context of a loving God who wants to see you, body and soul, integrated, whole and holy? Rich Velotis, whose book we're looking at this month, The Deeply Formed Life, he says this, every body indeed has a story of pain, pleasure, frustration, abuse, nurture, regret, shame, and love. I would say that most of us experience all these stories in our bodies, which suggests that throughout the course of our lives, we will have to wrestle with the stories of our bodies and relate to them and the bodies of others in deeply formed ways. That's huge. Where we have, where we have related to, to our own bodies and to other people's bodies in disembodied ways we have, we, have, we have lost our opportunity. It's, it's a tell is what it is. It's a tell. I am not yet deeply formed. In other words, we are each 
best understood, not in spite of our bodies, but within them. And our bodies are best understood, not as an isolated thing to be used out of context like a Coke bottle from the sky, but as an integrated part of our whole being, body and soul, created to please God, to worship and enjoy him forever. And so as you begin personally to wrestle with your own relationship with your own body or with the, with the, um, with the dysfunctions that you uh, are, are struggling with right now, the, that whole exercise that we just went through, silencing the outside, silencing the inside, silencing my will before God, is an exceptional exercise for really being and getting in touch with God's will for your body. So Paul begins with this concept of pleasure to define it within the context of the kingdom of God. Please God, not please God, but please God. And let everything else flow from that goal. So with that anchor in place, now Paul takes us into longing. He wants to address that hunger inside of us that can cause us to get disconnected from ourselves. He wants to address that hunger inside us that can cause us to get disconnected from ourselves. I need to say that again. He wants to silence the hunger within us that causes us to get disconnected from ourselves. So look at verse 3. It is God's will that you should, God's pleasure, I want to say it that way, it is God's pleasure, that you should be sanctified, that sanctified right there, it, it, it loops back up to more and more, that's what sanctified means, it means more and more, more and more, I'm working this out every day, more and more, I'm not there all the way, but I am more and more working it out. It is God's pleasure that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And so the prayer I wrote in the margins of my Bible here is sanctify my longings. This is the kind of line that, that, that the Puritans, this is what I just read from, uh, from Thessalonians, this kind of line that the Puritans would have taken out of context so they could beat each other over the head with their Puritanism. <laughs> But Paul gives us a radical idea here. He challenges us to see our worship, our desire to please God as an embodied practice. He's saying here, just what he says to the Corinthian church, he says, he's saying, glorify God in your body. That's what he's saying to us, glorify God in your body. We're divine, we are, we are made in the image of God, designed to reflect his glories. We are designed to reflect his glories, which means we are not who the culture says we are. That is exactly what Paul is saying. Don't do it like the pagans who split body from soul, who use each other for their own ends, who create cultures of shame. As my friend Phyllis Kaiser says, we are not pornographic, we are theographic. Isn't that the best? In other words, we are not soulless bodies to be used. Theo in the Greek means God. Graphic means right. So to say we are theographic is to say we are written by God. Our identities are written by God. Our stories are written by God into every cell of our being. Every body, even every cell in every body 
has a story. And if that's true, then what if that longing we feel, and you know that longing, the one that can send us down foolish paths when we, when we hear it out of context, what if that hunger and, uh, and feeling of emptiness, what if that is actually your spirit reaching for your original design, reaching for the story that integrates body and soul? Is it possible you've been reading the wrong story about your body? Come on. Look at verses six through eight. God, sanctify my longings. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of another brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a, a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So I've written in the margin there, teach me, Lord, teach me to live a holy life. Teach me to please you, God. Sanctify my longings. Teach me to live a holy life. Because God didn't call us to be impure, Paul says, but to live a holy life, which is to say our bodies are more than physical. We are theologies, our, our sexuality, all, which is all we have in the same way, sorry, which we all have. <laughs> our sexuality, which we all have in the same way we all have emotionality and physicality and personality and spirituality. Our sexuality speaks to our design, so our bodies are more than biology. And our use of them is more than morality. So it's a mistake to reduce all conversation about our bodies to biology or morality because neither morality or biology gets at the heart of sexual giftedness which God has given to every single one of us. I bet I don't have to say this, but when morality is divorced from theology, the story of our bodies quickly becomes distorted. The message slides towards shame. Doing these things with your body, that's bad. Don't do it. We do this with our kids in order to protect them from mistakes, but we can so easily end up uh, scarring or scaring them away from treasuring their own bodies when we do that by, by reducing our sexual behavior to nothing more than a list of moral rights and wrongs. We divorce body from soul. Likewise, biology focuses on physical and emotional feelings and attractions, but to reduce our sexuality down to nothing more than biology is to sap it of all its intangible rewards. The message is, just if it feels good, do it, but when it comes down to our kids, the message becomes protect yourself, which further separates body from soul. Both morality and biology force us into mind control. Does this make sense? Rather than encouraging us to explore the spiritual and emotional roots of both our sexuality and our wounds. So our bodies are more than morality or biology. We are more than plumbing and wiring. 
And our physical stories are more than a test to be passed. So much more. We are redeemed people with stories and spiritual gifts designed to be in partnership with God to build the kingdom on earth. We are mysteries. We are, we are theographic stories written by God designed to reflect his glories. Theology is not designed to breed shame and freedom, but, excuse me, to breed shame, but freedom. Theology is designed to breed freedom. That's why theology matters. What you believe matters. It's designed to reconnect what has been disconnected, so it offers us the most holistic view of our bodies and our being, and it offers the most chance for living fully into our created design. The point of an integrated spirituality and sexuality, body and soul, is to be fruitful in every way, to experience biblical joy through covenantal relationship where we can give ourselves completely to companionship and trust. Isn't that just beautiful? An integrated body and soul frees us for true intimacy it settles our most intimate relationships and trust, and it rejects the lie of shame so that we can come in here and we can hug and high-five and handshake bodies integrated with souls without fear, without shame. Paul tells us that to accept this teaching is to accept the God who gives us the Holy Spirit. So friends, I want you to hear the invitation offered here. Invite the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life that pleases God. Invite the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life that pleases God. To live a life controlled by the Spirit with a vision for pleasing God, not simply seeking pleasure. This is an invitation to focus on becoming someone, not finding someone. Because you need the Holy Spirit. Friends, you need the Holy Spirit, not another human being. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you who you really are. You hear me, friends? You need the Spirit of God indwelling you and filling you and helping you to have the mind of Christ. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you who you really are. God, help me to silence my externals and my internals and even my will before you so you can tell me who I really am. Pleasing, longing, and then loving. Paul talks to us about pleasing, developing our pleasure center so that it centers on pleasing God first. Our truest stories then become stories of longing to be told who we really are. We are theographic. And then he tells us about loving. Look at verse 9. He says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so how? More and more. Do you get the theme coming now? More and more. Love is a word so desperate, desperately in need of redefinition. 
Paul tells the Corinthian church that we make love not by physical connection only, but by mutual submission, by practicing. He says this, 1 Corinthians 13, patience and kindness and humility. We make love happen when we care for the whole person, body and soul. I, I love you because I want to please God. I love you because I love God. I love Jesus, and I want to please Jesus, and it pleases Jesus for me to love you. And if his love is flowing through me, then I have no other choice but to love you through his love. What I am saying is, <laughs> the only possible way I can love you is by the power of Jesus. Let me say that again. The only possible way I can love you is through the power of Jesus. Say that to your neighbor. The only possible way I can love you is through the power of Jesus. Say that to somebody. Come on. The only possible way I can love you is through the power of Jesus. The only possible way I can love you is through the power of Jesus. And some of you are looking at your friends or your neighbors or your spouses and saying, I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> Because you all by yourself are not that lovable. <laughs> but I think this word takes it to this other level and says, I want to love you well. I want to love you with my whole being. I don't want to hold some part of myself out from loving every single one of you. And the only way I can do that without it shooting out sideways the only way I can do that and maintain a holy life, the only way I can do that and see beyond what is most obviously messed up in you toward what God sees, the only way I can do that and see you in context is to love you through the love of Jesus Christ. So it's not a word because you by yourself are not all that lovable. It's a word for me so that my love stays holy, so that my love stays pure, so that my love sees you in context. We, we, we drove all the way to Kentucky on Friday, Heather, Steve, and I, and then all the way home. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, all, not all drivers are sanctified. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> and I was driving with this, not only a sanctified, but a professional driver, my friends. Um, but, but, but it's just so easy, isn't it, when you, when you get in traffic and people are going 45 and a 65, or they're, you know, they're, they're stopped dead, dead, dead still in the middle of an interstate, or whatever it is that people do, where they cut you off in traffic. <sighs> but I've had a practice myself, which I know that my sanctified professional driving husband is taking on, of, of, of saying to myself, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I don't know that person's whole story. You know? As Steve was saying it most of the rest of the trip back, I don't know that guy's story. I don't know that guy's story. <laughs> but it's not just traffic, friends. You don't know somebody's whole story. You don't know somebody's whole story. Don't make the terrible mistake of creating jealousy and envy and anger and distrust and shame 
by, by taking part of someone's story out of context. You don't know their whole story. Over the last 75 years, researchers at Harvard have tracked the lives of 724 men. Most of the, it's actually been longer than 75 years now. They, they, they are keeping it, so it passes from one researcher to the next as the, as the old researchers die. But it's the same, it's the same study. These boys were, they, they were little when they started. And they've been tracking these men all the way into adulthood and into old age, connecting, contacting them every two years to ask them about their lives, their homes, their work, their health, watching over all these years to see how their lives would turn out. Some of these men have become rich and famous. One of them became president of the United States. Others went in the opposite direction. And boiling all this time and all these lives and all this data down to its most basic lessons, this is what, uh, there's a, the, the, the guy who started the whole study, his name is Waldinger. This is what he says is the clearest message of this study. The message has nothing to do with shame or, or fame or, or wealth or or working harder, or anything like that. The, the real lesson that these researchers have learned about living from all these lives is this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier. Good relationships, whole, holy, healthy relationships keep us healthier and happier. The researcher who started this whole study said over and over, these, over these, all these years, these decades, our study has shown that the people who fared the best were the people who learned to lean into relationship. Not back up, but to lean into relationship with family, with friends, in, and with their community around them. Let me say that again. The people who fared best were the people who leaned into relationship. It took, it took 75 years and 700 24 men to say what we learned in Genesis 2.18. Read this together. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Seven times in the creation story, God says that he makes things and he calls them good. The seas are good, the sun and moon are good, the plants and fish and animals are good, people are good. And then after seven scenes of goodness, God finds a flaw, one thing that isn't quite right. It is not good that man should be alone. And in the context of the story, the word we use as man here is really human. It's not good for a human to be alone. Creation will not be defined by independence, God says. It will not be one Toddler saying to the universe, I can do it myself. <laughs> Creation will be defined by the love, the same love that defines the Trinity. Self-giving, integrated, life-breeding love that flows from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And between them. So God in his wisdom gave us to each other. We're made for love. And not just romantic love, but deep love. This is the whole point of what we're talking about today. We're made for healthy community. We are made for each other. That's why we join churches and go to movie theaters and hang out at Starbucks. It's because we're, desi we're designed, we hunger for relationships. 
It's also why the enemy of our souls wants to attract us into solitude with things like porn and video games. It's why the enemy of your soul would rather you seek your own pleasure than to please God. It's why a fallen world has created cheap substitutes that never really fill our deepest longings. Why didn't anybody tell us? Why didn't they tell us? That on this side of the fall line, we deal with shame and it would drive us into spiritual slavery and attempt to destroy our God-given identity. Why didn't they tell us that the enemy would make it his number one priority to separate us from our created design, to separate us from truth, to separate us from God, to separate us from each other and convince us that self-protection and self-interest and just plain selfishness is our only hope. Why didn't somebody tell us? Those cheap substitutes which only serve to separate body from soul entice us to tell the wrong story about our souls and our bodies and ourselves. So what story do you want your body to tell? I mean, some of us have been through some pretty rough things. Our bodies have been through some tough things. Do you want your body to tell a story of being redeemed, healed? Are you still trying to silence your body's voice? We are clearly more than the sum total of our parts. We are theographic. We are stories written by God. And at creation, God used bodies to answer the loneliness by creating community in the spirit of the Holy Trinity. And when we misused our bodies and we found ourselves wallowing in shame, God used the body of Christ. God used the body of Christ to redeem our stories. In his body, Jesus pleased the will of God. In his body, Jesus sacrificed the deepest longing of our souls to connect our design with our designer. In his body, Jesus is restoring us daily to our created design. And this is more than physical union. This is about joining the intangibles. Friends, we are not just biologies or moralities. We are theologies. Our substance embedded in every cell of our being is something deep and spiritual. We are designed for a kind of living that encompasses all of us, mind, body, and spirit. And so I speak Jesus over your body and over your body's story. I speak Jesus over every scar and memory and wound that has accumulated in your body over all the years you've been alive. I speak Jesus over every failure and disconnection pain that took you away from the story that God has longed to write over your body and soul. 
When I speak Jesus as the first word of redemption over your body. I speak Jesus over the shame and fear that have separated you from true intimacy. And I speak Jesus over the loves and the relationships that have, that have healed you. I speak Jesus over your unfulfilled longings and over the cheap substitutes you've tried to believe in that have only disappointed you and left you feeling empty. And I speak Jesus over the spiritual disciplines that have pulled you under the wing of God and that have showed you, you. I speak Jesus over all of you, body, soul, emotion, relationship, all of it. And I bless you to glorify God in your body. I bless you to glorify God in your body. Just as Jesus was glorified in his. On the night he gave himself for us, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, this is my body broken for you. It will not be split from the Father. It reunites you with your story. So as often as you drink or eat from this loaf, you remember the story. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his Father in heaven for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, part of my body, poured out for you. As often as you drink from this cup, you remember the story. Remember who you are. Remember who I am. Let this reunite you with the Holy Trinity. Let my body be glorified for yours. And let my body reunite yours with the kingdom. So God, we offer ourselves body and soul. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's sacrifice for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit over these gifts. Make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ. As we receive them today, we might find ourselves reintegrated, filled, healed, whole. And Jesus, over the mysteries, the things we can't explain, the things we can't get back, the memories we cannot erase, Lord, speak Jesus. Speak Jesus. If you would do that, God, we would be so grateful. We love you, Jesus. We honor and worship you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.